Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Let the church say amen. Amen. This week, I had something happen that had never happened before. And of course, I'm up early in the morning and I needed to send someone some money. And so those who are familiar with Venmo know how it works. So I went in and I pulled up the person that I thought was the person And I sent them a substantial amount of money, and I looked at it, and it appeared that it didn't go through. So I did it again to the same person. And then 10 minutes later, when I looked, twice it came up that I sent this person money. And so I'm like, okay. I didn't know it was the wrong person until the person texted me and said that they didn't get it. So the money actually went to the wrong person. And so I'm like, oh no, what do I do? So we were able to figure out by using Facebook who it was because this person was on Facebook and I sent her a message and come to find out it was a person in Massachusetts And she happened to be a a minister and a psychologist. And so I'm like, okay, this should work out okay. But the funniest part is that there was someone in Philadelphia, a local pastor, who actually knew this woman because they were from Massachusetts. And so I was able to get her phone number, and I left a message with her on her phone. And a day and a half or two days later, the money was back in my account, and I was so grateful. But what that indicates, it it indicated that the person was righteous. Why was this person righteous? It's because they did the right thing. That's why they were righteous. And so today, what we're going to be looking at at least initially, is Jehovah Sid Canoe, which is the Lord, our righteousness. I just gave you an example of what righteousness is. Well, here's the interesting thing. When we look at David in his psalm, what does he say? He says that the Lord, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, we continue to to see how sheep act. And so when we look at sheep, we know that sheep will go the same route all the time. They will enter into the same path. They, They are creatures of habit. And so we see that they will graze the same hills. They will follow the same trails. They will pollute the own ground that they eat from. And so over time, when they continue to do that, they will get sick and they will die. They need the guidance of the shepherd. They need to be led by the shepherd. Only the shepherd is able to take care of the sheep. Why? Because periodically the sheep need a change of pasture. 
So they don't do what they would do on their own. The sheep need to be led to different pastures at different times. And so we see that the sheep are managed. That there's a predetermined plan for the sheep that the shepherd has. Well, notice what Isaiah says, and I said this last week. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 6, that we are like sheep. And we have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is he talking about? He's letting us know that we are just like sheep. Why is Isaiah saying that? Because Isaiah knows what it means to turn away from God. Isaiah knows what it means to walk away from God. And I'm not getting into Isaiah. But the reality is, is that we're the same. We're the same as those sheep. We live by patterns. We live by habits. We will establish habits and patterns in our life. And so what will happen is we will become very stubborn. You know that word stubborn. Let's be honest. We prefer to do things our way. We prefer to have it go the way that we want it to go. We prefer to do what we want. And so in the midst of this, we see that Jesus and God, he lets us know something. He lets us know that we, when we go our way, it seems right to us. Solomon lets us know that. Solomon says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. The way of sin, that's what it is. See, we are natural sinners. We love to sin. It's in us. We're born in it, and we continue with it. And, it. and you know what? Even when we're saved, guess what we do? We still sin. That's why it's so difficult for us to be righteous. So left on our own, what do we do? We're just like those sheep. We're going to do the same things over and over again. We're going to get in the, we're going to get in the same patterns over and over again. We're going to continue to do things our way. And we know that Frank Sinatra sang the song, didn't he? I did it my way. Well, guess what? We might as well adopt that song because that's us. We like to do things our way. And when things don't go our way, we get upset. And so we know this. And every single person in Scripture, guess what? They had an issue with it because they were sinners. And so what we see here in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this chaos, God, the Jesus, our good shepherd, he speaks a word. And we can find that word in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. This is what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And here it is, and follow me. This word, follow me, it's actually the present imperative. So when we look in the Greek and we look at the word follow, it's a present imperative, which means this, let him keep following me. So Jesus isn't just say, follow me just for a moment. Jesus saying, you need to keep following me. 
And that's what he was implying when he gave this word that Mark writes about. And so let's be honest. As believers, most of us, we don't want to deny ourselves. We really don't. We don't like giving up our rights. We like to make our own decisions. We really don't want to follow. We don't want to be led. We, we have our own course of action. We, we don't like to be confronted when we do wrong. We, we like to exert what we want. So we can sing the songs, I follow you, Jesus, and we can have this mental ascent that, that we really desire to follow Jesus. But when it comes down to it, we want to make our own decisions. But God already knew that. And we see that with the nation of Israel. And so what we see, the nation of Israel sinned all the time. They would constantly depart from God. And they would want to go their own way. But God did not forget his covenant. And so when we look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, this is what it says. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness. This is who David was referring to when he said, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He was talking about Jehovah Sid Canoe, but yet we see this, the writer Jeremiah, he lets us know and expresses Jehovah Sid Canoe and his character. So he lets us know that the righteous character of God, that's what he's doing here. And when we look at this word in the English, it means justice. That's what it is. It, the English word is justice. So when we look at righteousness, it's about doing what is just. And so we see that God has all these names. And we know that he's called the righteous God. He's called the righteous judge. And he's called the righteous one because he's all righteous. God keeps his righteousness. He doesn't lose it. God does not keep his righteousness, however, to himself. Think about that. God doesn't keep his righteousness to himself. God allows us to be a part of his righteousness. And so when we look at what, what, John, what Jeremiah is saying, he is prophesying that there's going to be a righteous branch. And that righteous branch is Jehovah Sid Canoe, which is actually messianic. And he's talking about the Messiah, and he's going to be called the Messiah, but not only the Messiah, the shepherd king. So when we look at what he's saying, this righteous branch that's going to come out of the root of David is going to be Jesus. 
going to be Jesus. So through Jeremiah, we're looking ahead that there's going to be a righteous one. And he's going to be in the line of Jesse. And this righteous one is going to be Jesus Christ. He's also making a prophetic statement to those Israelites at that point. What he's letting them know, he's letting them know that, hey guys, you know what? You are able to be righteous through your God. Why? Because when you come back into fellowship with God again, you are going to be aligned with him and God is going to be your righteousness. That's what he's saying. The Bible teaches us about righteousness. The Bible lets us know that, that we need to be righteous. And so when we think about it, the first thing that I've already started talking about, the first point, is the Lord is our righteousness. So positionally, Jesus is our righteousness. Positionally, Jesus, the Lord, is our righteousness. So Crawford, what do you mean by that? That God has given us the righteousness of Christ. That when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus and what Jesus accomplished at the cross. And so we take on his righteousness because he exchanges his righteousness for our sinfulness. That's what he did at the cross. He bore our sins at the cross so that we might be made righteous. Now, this is an incredible thing when you think about it. Because what God is actually doing, God loves his son so much. You know, catch this. He loves his son so much and he loves us so much that he will take us and honor his son by when we believe in him. And that's why he gives us the righteousness of Christ. He gives us righteousness because of his son. So what does that mean? People without his son don't have that righteousness. Because you can only have that righteousness through his son because Jesus is our righteousness. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says this, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Jesus has become all those things for us. He's become wisdom for us. He's become righteousness for us. And he's become our redemption. That's an amazing thing. And so when you think about it, the next point I like to make is, number two, the Lord enables us to live righteous lives. Well, how does he do that? Well, he does that through Christ. He's given us the ability to live out that righteousness that's been given to us positionally. So now he wants that righteousness to emanate from our lives in a very practical way. So, so let me give you some of those ways. He says that our lives are to be blameless. Well, what do you mean by blameless? I, 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 I can't be blameless. Well, the word means that our lives should be of good reputation. 
That doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything wrong. But what kind of reputation do you have? Do you have a good reputation? Some of us might not. So think about this for a minute. If I were to go to your neighbor and ask your neighbor, tell me a little bit about the person. This person is a member of my, my church, and, and uh, I want you to tell, him, tell, tell me something about him. Could your neighbor say some things about you that are totally positive? Or could they, would they be saying, you know what, man, that neighbor of mine, they're a mess. I always hear them fussing and cussing and carrying on. They be having parties outside, drinking Corona all the time. I be hearing the bottles dropping. <laughs> they always parking their car in front of my house, and they know that I park there. I mean, can you imagine? Here I am, a believer, and they talking about me like that? that that's not a good reputation, is it? See, and when you think about it, so Paul, what, maybe what we need to do is that when we, when we hire or when God calls pastors and ministers to church, maybe we actually need to go check the neighbors and talk to them to see how they are. <laughs> I don't think nobody does that. But, but how are you going to know if they're of good reputation if you don't ask the people that see them all the time? Right? And so I'm not picking on ministers and pastors, but the reality is, is that applies to all of us. Do we live righteous lives because of the righteous one that lives in us? And so when we think about what that means practically, here's what it comes to. Instead of loving myself most, I'm willing to love Christ the best and others more than myself. Instead of being one of the crowd, I am willing to be singled out, set apart from the gang. Instead of insisting on my rights, I'm willing to forgo them in favor, in favor of others. Instead of being the boss, I'm willing to be at the bottom of the heap. Can I actually do that? Instead of finding fault with life and always asking the why question, am I willing to accept every circumstance of life in an attitude of gratitude. Instead of exercising and, and exerting, excuse me, asserting my will, I am willing to learn to cooperate with his wishes and comply with his will. Instead of choosing my own way, I am willing to choose to follow in Christ's way, simply to do what he asked me to do. See, that's practical righteousness. But I can't stop there because in, in Psalm 15, David lets us know some more about righteousness. Well, what does he say? Well, this is what he says. David lets us know and help us to understand the ultimate question. And here's the ultimate question. It's this. How do I know? How can I recognize a righteous person? And this is what David says, and you can see it for yourself in Psalm 15. He says this, a righteous person lives a blameless life or walks uprightly. He says, someone who does what is right. Righteous people speak the truth from their heart. Catch that one. 
Righteous people speak the truth from their heart. Are you willing to tell me the truth, even though it hurts? If I'm walking down the street and I have this, I had been eaten and I have mustard all over my face, are you willing to tell me that I have mustard on my face? Or are you going to let me continue to walk that way? Now, some people won't say a word. They won't tell me. Well, Crawford, guess what? Your zipper's open. See, there was a time when people would say, your zipper's open, but today, you don't get that. It's like walking down the street with your zipper open. Can, can you please let me know that my zipper's open? They used to tell you that back in the day. But nobody thinks about that as being righteousness, do they? See, there's those little things, there's little acts that amount up to righteousness. And so when we tell the truth, are we able to be honest with one another all the time? Or do I just give a little bit of truth and I hold back? Are we afraid of totally being honest in our relationships? Or do I have to hold back? Because guess what? I... I might hurt you. I don't think you can handle this. Now, maybe the appropriate time is necessary, and you choose the appropriate time to tell the person, but you still have to tell them. But a lot of times we hold back because I don't think the person can handle the truth. See, a righteous person will be truthful. David says that. He says that they will refuse to gossip or backbite. He says that they refuse to do evil to their neighbor. Righteous people do not accept criticism or shame from others concerning their neighbors. Ooh. Somebody talking about the neighbor next door. Are you going to stand there and listen to it? Mm. Wow. Righteous people refuse to speak bad things about their neighbors or friends. A righteous person stays away from flagrant sinners. Wow. Now notice, we're supposed to be witness to sinners, and we can be around sinners, but what about people that are sinning constantly? Do we hang around those type of people? David says we shouldn't. A righteous individual honors those who fear the Lord, being around the right people. They keep their promises or oaths or vows at all costs. Do we do that? Or when something comes up, do we promise somebody we're going to do something, and then somebody calls us up and say, I got tickets to go to the Eagles game. And so you cancel what you were going to do with that person because you, got, you could go to the Eagles game. So you call them up. Um, something came up. You don't tell them what it is. Something has come up. I have an emergency. I have a family emergency that I have to tend to. <laughs> and it's the Eagles game. Well, we just lied, didn't we? Because the Eagles game became more important than promising what you were going to do with that person. Righteousness. Very practical, isn't it? This is coming from Psalm 15. 
They keep their promises or oaths or vows at all costs. Notice what he says. And then a righteous person does not lend money at an exorbitant rate of interest. So you can lend money, just don't charge a lot of interest. So if I come, <laughs> if I come to Courtney in the back and say, Courtney, can you loan me $100? Courtney can say, I loaned it to you, but I want an extra $5 back. That's all right. Now, if Courtney says, I want $50, then Courtney's a loan shark. <laughs> There's a big difference. <laughs> Righteousness. All right. So, a righteous person always protects the innocent. I could go somewhere with that, but I'm not. Listen to what it says. The righteous person always protects the innocent. When you think about who's innocent, who do you think about? Yeah. That can be a convicting statement for us. Do we protect those who we know that are innocent? And even at our job. Somebody's being accused of something that they didn't do. And we know that they didn't do it. Do we speak up? Or do we not say a word? Righteousness. Well, we need to move along. The righteous one enables us to be righteous. But David went on to say something else. He went on to talk about Jehovah Shammah. The, the Lord is present, and this is what he said. He said in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now David, before he was anointed as king, Samuel came to the house looking for the one who was going to be chosen as king. So Jesse pulled out all his kids, and Samuel went there, and he would go to each one. Nope, nope, mm -mm, no. Now listen to this. Jesse, do you have any more children? I don't think God made a mistake, but none of these are the one. Oh, yeah, I have one more. Can you, can you bring him to us? Well, where was David? David was out watching the sheep. David was actually in the high country watching the sheep, in the highlands. So David would know how to get to the highlands. And in order to get to the highlands, they had to go through the valley. When you're talking about a mountain, you have two valleys on each on side of the mountain. So in order to get to the top of the mountain, guess what? You had to start in the valley. Well, David knew what it was like to take sheep through the valley. He knew what it was like. He knew the dangers of the valley. He knew what was in the valley. He, he knew what was lurking in the valley. He knew about the flooding, 
the rivers that could flood. He knew about the avalanches. He knew about the rock slides. He knew about the poisonous plants. He knew about the predators that were hiding there. He knew about the storms that would come up, the hailstorms or the sleet storms that would come up in the valley because he had gone through the valley in order to know what was there so that he could protect the sheep when he would go up to the highlands. The valley. Point number three, the Lord meets us in the valley. David was able to talk about that. And David pinned it down as a sheep because David went through valley moments. Remember, David was, was in a long period of running away from King Saul. That was a valley. How would you like somebody chasing you around for 13 years? I mean, think about that. David had to be on the run from King Saul because he was trying to take him out. That was a valley. We all go through valleys, don't we? See, the fact is, David knew about the valley, so he wrote about the valley because he was in the valley. And, and so he found out that the Lord meets him in the valley. Jehovah Shammah meets me in the valley. The Lord is present. And see, in order to get to the high country or the high plains, you had to go through the valley. How many of us are always saying, you know what, I, I want to be in a higher place with God? I, I want, I, you know what, I need to go to a higher place with the Lord. You know, I see some people and how patient they are, and I see how they just do things for God, and things always seem to be working for them, and how God just blesses their life. Well, why do you think that? Because most of the time they're living in the high country, but they, that don't mean they haven't gone down to the valley. See, the reality is, is that in order to get to the high country, you got to go through the valley. And many of us don't like to deal with the valley because we don't like the valley. But what David found out is what is in the valley. See, the reality is, is that when we go through the valley, what, what's in the valley for us? Well, we know what it is like to be in a valley. There's trials, right? There's, there's disappointment. There's there's distress, there's dilemmas, there's, there's tribulation, there's depression. That's, that's when we're in the valley. But here's what David knew about the valley. David knew that there was lust, that, that there, were, it, there was refreshment in the valley. Why was there refreshment in the valley? Because down in the valley, guess what? There was intimacy taking place with the shepherd. Well, how do you know that? Well, look how close. Look how close they are with the shepherd. See, down in the valley, there's only like a small path. And so the sheep would follow the shepherd. And every now and then, the, the shepherd would stop because in the valley was refreshing ponds and streams for the sheep to be able to drink from. In the, in the valley, there, there was lush foliage that they could eat from. See, there was some good stuff in the valley. But see, we don't see the good stuff in the valley. 
Because we're looking at how bad it is in the valley, but we forget about that Jehovah Shammah is present. That's what it means. He is here. He is present in the valley with us. So down in the valley, there's refreshment. In the valley, why? Because he becomes our refreshment. In the valley. I'm not there by myself. It's, well, it's a well-watered root in the valley. There's rich feed and foliage in the valley. The shepherd already been through the valley. He knows what's there. And he knows where everything's at. He knows where those, those creatures are lurching, lurking. That's why we got to trust him. We don't know what's in the valley. But can we trust the one that's in there with us? Can we rest with the one that we know that's with us? So when we look at this, I, I'm, I'm going to go to Ezekiel. I'm, 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 I don't have too much time. I'm almost finished. I still got a little couple more points to make, but I'm almost, I'm getting there. I'm almost there. In Ezekiel 48, 30 to 35, it says this. It says, these will be the exits of the city. Beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long, the gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates on the north side will be the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi. On the east side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan. On the south side, which measures 4,500 cubits, will be three gates, the gate of Simeon, the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulun. On the west side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, and the gate of Naphtali. The distance all around will be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from the time on will be, here it is, the Lord is there. The Lord is present. Now, what is Ezekiel talking about? Ezekiel is naming this city, and he's calling this city, this, the city of Jerusalem, future-wise. He's letting us know, he's letting them know that it's going to be called Jehovah Shammah, which the Lord is here. The Lord is present. In other words, he's given us a symbol for divine presence. That God, that Jesus, Jehovah Shammah, he's going to be in all his glory. And where is that glory going to be? The glory was actually in the temple. That represented the presence of God. And they are to rebuild the temple, but he's talking about the city, and it's going to be named Jehovah Shammah. But Jehovah Shammah was present in the temple. And later on, who is, where is Jehovah Shammah going to be present? the temple, but the church. And who's the church? Us. We are the temple. Ezekiel was referring to that later on. We're the temple. Now, he's not talking about the city yet, but he's given reference. He's inferring that we are the temple, and God is going to dwell in us, that he is present. Think about that. If God is indwelling us and is present with us, why do we fly off the handle so much? 
Why can we not rest in him? Why can we not know and feel and enter into his presence? See, we need to learn how to do that. Let me help you. And this is my final point. My final point is number four. The Lord's presence will change us. The Lord's presence will change us. Well, we'll how? Well, think about it. See, when we think about the Lord's presence in Psalm 46.1, which David writes about, what is he saying? He's implying that God who is present is not just expectant. Now catch this. But he's active. His activity is constant. Well, what do you mean? God isn't just looking over us. He's not just present over us, but he lives in us. And he's always active. He's not in our, in our life just to be there, just to be sitting still. No, he's, he's active. Well, what do you mean he's active? Do you ever get convicted? That's God being active. Do you ever get impressed in your spirit to do something for somebody? That's God being active. Do you ever feel bad about not being in your word? That's God being active. See, God is active in us. It's whether or not we recognize what he's doing. Because why would God enter and choose willfully when we accept him as our savior and he comes to live in us through the spirit and he gives us power why would he not want us to use the power that he's given us why aren't we why don't we desire to walk in that power we have the power we have the presence of god but unbelievers don't have that we have the peace of God. Look, look at what we're going through. We, we have healing available to us. We have the peace available to us. We got everything that God provides. We have God as our shepherd. Now we're talking about how God is our righteousness. And now we're talking about how God is present. And his presence is able to change us because he's actively engaged in our lives. Whether we choose to listen to what he tells us is a different story. Right? There's purpose. Not only is he just there, but, oh, man, he interacts with us so that we could be part of history. Now, I don't want you to miss this. History is stuff in the past. So he wants, yes, we ought to be part of history. He's writing a story, and he's writing a story that involves us now. We're talking about legacy. What are we going to leave behind, which is our history? Is our history attached to his story? Because he allows us to be part of his story so that there can be a wonderful legacy of history because of his story that's in our life that creates his story in history for us. I got one amen. That's better than zero. We are a part of God's story. And he allows us to be a part of it now. Do we want to be a part of it? 
Because guess what? As soon as we close our eyes in death, it's over in terms of what we can do now. Now, we can be in a, ultimately in the presence, and that's the last point. We ultimately, eternity-wise, eternity-wise, we will be in the presence of God, which God is longing for us to be with him. But until that happens, how are we allowing his presence to impact people's lives now? God didn't just save us to sit on a pew. He saved us so that we can be a part of his story. He's writing his story right now in time and space. How much of, the, of his story do we want to be a part of? Jehovah Shammah, he's present. Jehovah Sid Canoe, he's our righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. We thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd. And through David's eyes, who was a shepherd, and he was also a king, that we get a wonderful glimpse of what Jesus was going to be for us, that great shepherd king that lives in our lives and wants to be a part of our lives on a regular basis. Father, give us the desire to want to please you in everything that we do. Father, help us as we live our lives to want to do the right thing. And let us be able to rest in your presence as we go through the valleys. Because through those valleys, we enter into the high country where we can enjoy the mountaintop. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing this closing Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.